Hi, this is Chloe Trujillo, and you're listening to End Podcast for All. Welcome to End Podcast for All. I'm Shane Overshaw. And I'm Jeff Winslow. Jeff, this is what you call an intro. Intro? No, this is an outro. <laughs> We're used to doing intros in the beginning, and I think the outro comes at the end. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sometimes I get confused. See, it's kind of late, so once it gets late, I get tired, I get a little confused. Can we call this an out intro? Out in? Out in? Out intro? Out intro? Yeah, I think that we've coined the phrase, so that's trademark, so nobody can use that. We can't talk about what we've done in the past week. We can't talk about the hate train coming down the tracks with hate mail. You and I just basically five minutes ago recorded a conversation with an amazing individual that had some huge all access for a couple of years with our favorite band. Yeah. To say those stories were amazing is an absolute understatement. To be honest, I'm kind of in shock. I, I didn't even really say much because I didn't even know where to begin. I mean, those stories were incredible and just getting that inside, you know, look on what really happens. I mean, you couldn't ask for any more. Very lucky tonight. Just got off the horn with Mr. Kyle Shutt from The Sword. We talked about, what would you say, 587 different topics, and 586 of those were mind-blowing behind the scenes on tour during the World Magnetic Tour. You know what's funny about that is... So obviously we're a Metallica podcast. We let the fan or the guest drive the show. We sometimes derail from what, you know, the main topic is. The funny thing with this episode is we talked more about Metallica than any other episode we've ever had, I think. A couple of weeks ago we were talking about 90210, Huey Lewis, and Rick Springfield. This was 99% Lars James Kirk Rob chatter. Yeah, you know, it's nice to change it up a little bit. Keep in mind that we still like when our our guests come on and talk about whatever they want to talk about, whether it's 90210 or or whatever it may be. But yeah, no, this was this was very cool. I have two sheets of notes you can see here on squadcast.fm. My notepad is full of notes and questions. Oh yeah, there's a lot there. But uh, we got to about 3% on my page. So as you get ready to listen to this upcoming amazing interview, sit down, laid back chat with Mr. Kyle from the sword, we didn't get to any of that shit, but what you're about to hear is it's much better. <laughs> it's way better. I think we just throw the pen and paper out the window from now on and just, just let it roll. This was amazing. Yep. So, so just sit back and relax and just enjoy what you're about to hear. Thanks again to Mr. Kyle Shut from the Sword. Enjoy the Sword slash Metallica around the globe, out of this universe conversation. There is no outro. We will see you next week. See you later.
All the way from the big jumble state of Texas, lead guitarist from the sword, Mr. Kyle Shutt. How you doing, Kyle? What's happening? I'm good. How are you? We are excellent. Thanks for joining us, man, on such a uh, late night. Yeah, I don't mind a bit. Uh, actually, I do most of my work at night. Uh, I've got uh, two kids, and so whenever they're in bed is usually when my uh, work day begins. Um, making music and coming up with silly projects and stuff. So, Oh <laughs> yeah. I, I know that all too well, man. I've got three kids. So it's, <laughs> you know, as soon as they're in bed, it's like, all right, now it's time to get busy. Uh, for real. What have you been up to lately, Kyle? Uh, you know, um, since the coronavirus, we have to talk about it happened. Uh, my life is way different <laughs> than, than I thought it would have been. So uh, now I'm uh, instead of, I was almost uh, about to open a bar uh, here in Austin, and uh, I mean, seriously, in February, we were looking for um, locations and stuff. It was uh, actually just about to happen. In a way, I guess we're lucky that we didn't spend a ton of money. Yeah, that might be a blessing in disguise. Uh, yeah, you know, so so I try not to dwell on it. It, it sucks. But then, you know, I was like, well, at least we have all these sick tours coming up with Primus and stuff and everything. And now, and then that all, yeah fell apart too i mean it's the same thing happened to everybody i'm not looking for sympathy but you know so i was just i just kind of looked inward and i was like what okay uh how am i gonna make this work you know and uh so i started um i started painting i had a bunch of copies of my uh solo album laying around which uh the cover is a, a velvet painting of my face <laughs> I thought it was way cool appropriate but um but you know, I just had a, a bunch of them that weren't selling themselves, and uh, uh, I had a I had, I had a sharpie, and I was like, you know what? I bet I could like color the kiss makeup on these things, and sell there you them go or something. I don't know. So, so I did it, and it was fun. I was like, hey, anybody want these? And and uh, they sold, and so I took that money to Jerry's Artorama uh, here in Austin, a great art store, and um, uh, yeah, I just I bought some real paint supplies and and just started painting my ass off. I, I would just anything anybody wanted. I was like, if you just you know. If you want to support me, like, you know, slide some funds over, I'll paint myself as whatever you want. Robocop, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> it got out of control. And I did, a, I did 130 of them in 150 days. Damn. Oh my gosh. And, um, yeah. And I had never painted before. Um, or, or, That's or really crazy. <laughs> thought out anything. I don't know. I just kind of, it just sort of came out of me. I mean, the early ones are pretty crude. It was a hidden talent. The more I went, yeah, you know, and I'm by no means like a artiste, but um, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm still gonna do it. It's just that during the the hundreds of hours I think I ended up spending on this project, um, you know, I, when you paint, I guess your brain, I don't know, I kind of just my brain would wander and think about other things, and and I always had the idea to write a book uh, called Written in Stoned, and I thought it would be funny, and uh, you know, because I I don't know when I get an idea and it makes me laugh, I usually know that that's kind of something I should maybe pursue a little more. That's a great title. I saw it's a, it's going to include everything from truck stops from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. That's my favorite part. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be about life on the road, just as a touring musician. Uh, you know, after the excess of the eighties and the you mm-hmm. know e- even the nineties for that matter, and like it was just cutting it in a world that was totally cashed out, had no more money left in it, and it was just like it was just the glory, you know, and the the absolute privilege of being an artist for a living, you know, none of us made any money, you know, I mean, we made enough money to live on, but we weren't rich by any means. Um, and, uh, so it was just, it's going to be a different kind of memoir. It's not going to be about, you know, uh, waking up in a hotel room, you know, it's like, you know, needle in your arm or anything like that, you know, cause that, that, that book's been written. 
Nikki Six already wrote that. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think we. I read know. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. This is gonna be more of like uh, this is the real life story of what happens on on the road. Yeah, yeah, and I'd like to I'd like to include more like like break down what really goes goes on. I guess what goes into making a band happen, you know, like really break down what the studio means and the, the multitude of ways that you can make an album and break down, you know, the guitar and talk about my personal guitar philosophy and then talk about the road crew, which I feel like never gets enough attention in memoirs and stuff. And like give them a whole chapter and interview some old crew types uh, and just see what it, um, what it was like taking care of my drunk ass, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're definitely the unsung heroes of the road. That's for sure. Absolutely. And um, so, so I don't know, I got the idea to do that book and I looked it up and like the, the name had never been used for anything shockingly. You know, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I, love was it. I was surprised at that. So that was another, um, another flag, you know, to, to guide me down the, uh, that path. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I was going to write it and, and this and that. I didn't, and, and then thinking about it, it's a, it seems like a momentous, monumentous task, uh, 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 an enormous task. And um, so right. I, uh, I, I didn't know if I wanted to spend that amount of time on something that maybe nobody wanted to read, you know? And so I thought about the solo album Kickstarter that I did, and that was for an album that didn't exist yet. And so I thought about, well, I'll, I'll do it for a, a book that doesn't exist yet and, um, and see if that works. And I, I'm, you know, I'm no idiot. I, I know people are strapped right now and me asking for any kind of money can come across any number of ways, but it was a fair amount that I was asking for just to, you know, allow me to really invest some time to get the book in people's hands quicker and, um, and to have the amount of, uh, you know, finance available to create the book that I wanted to create without any sort of compromise, uh, very fair having to, you know, things like that. And, um, so, and, and plus it was like half of what I was asking for to make the solo album and it'll arguably take me a lot more time. So I don't know. I didn't, at the end of the day, after a lot of soul searching, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it because the worst case scenario, it doesn't get funded and I didn't waste any time, Boo-hoo. you know? And so, right. but we're almost at our goal. I mean, we're, <laughs> I'm at like 83% right now. I'm shocked. Nice. Uh, and, uh, the people are into it. I'm really excited. It's really lit the fire. And I, I want to write this book, but I have still got a little bit more work to do. I've got three days left to raise uh, the rest of the money and uh yeah balls to the wall man it's uh it's on nicely done written in stone do you have a release date i don't but uh i'm, I'm telling people like give me a year just max like hopefully it'll be done before then but just in case you know i mean just give me a year of time to really dedicate to it and to because it's going to take me some time to interview everyone that i want to interview and and really construct it the way that that i see in my head i don't i've never written a book sure. before but i'd never painted either so i don't know i think i can figure it out i know what sucks and what doesn't and plus i just uh, i'm a really avid reader I, I know what sucks and what doesn't so i'm not afraid to self-edit i'm, I'm, I'm gonna get an editor of course there, there, there is a package um called the editor and keith <laughs> nice <laughs> that yeah, somebody could uh, purchase if they want to uh, go down in the, the title pages the editor and keith for written in stone I was trying to get Snoop Dogg on board or, or something, but I don't know. He didn't answer. The <laughs> <laughs> this is all taking place in your uh, home of Austin right now, Kyle. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm staying up in Austin right now, uh, kind of like northeast of the, of the city. Um, but yeah, it's uh, quite a different place than it used to be. Um, only a few months ago, unfortunately, um, it's crazy. Like every week, like something legendary closes. No, oh, it's so sad. It's a, it, it's awful, man. I know it's happening everywhere, but man. It really stings. Austin, I'm not from here, but I've lived here more than I've lived anywhere else in my life. So I, I guess I do claim some sort of ownership there. But um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. 
Jeff and I play in a uh, national touring Metallica tribute band, Kyle, and we've played at Stubbs three or four times. Uh, the outside or the inside? The inside. Nice. Dude, that is a great room. We love it. It's a fun room. We've had uh, we've had some really great shows there. We actually we had the drummer for Buck Cherry come on out and he jammed a song with us and it's been <laughs> what song? it's been fun. Uh, he did Sabatru. Awesome. Yeah, Stubbs has been great. I remember the first time I was in here, I'm like, "What this little podunk room?" But man, legendary place. We filled it up on shit a Tuesday night, and we love going back there. It's been packed every it, it, time. It's <laughs> the perfect size room. Like yeah, and it's, it's like excellent. tucked under a stairwell too, so it's really compact and like low ceilings and the rock and roll sound just shoots right at you, you know, like bounces right off that low ass ceiling. Oh man, that's a great room. It really does have a great sound for the type of room it is. And it's like it's underneath the barbecue for those at home that don't know, the the inside stubs is like underneath the barbecue restaurant, which is all hardwood. So the whole thing is like this big hardwood ceiling that just resonates that's right. beautifully. It's awesome. The, Austin is lousy with venues and uh this is <laughs> In the in the old days, <laughs> six months ago, Austin was filled with these clubs. Uh, that <laughs> back in January of 2020, right? Yeah, the good old days. Sound. But um, uh, but Stubbs was one of those like underrated ones. Like there was another one downtown called the Parish, that the whole room was just hardwood. Um, that just it was just beautiful sound. I love that CBGB was like that. Um, the whole thing was just one big molded piece of just disgusting wood it was like the whole thing was one piece of wood after all the blood and cocaine and fucking snot and piss. yeah you know and the termites <laughs> eating away at the foundation <laughs> how many times has the sword played at uh stubs oh uh yeah we opened for motorhead there one time uh we opened wow for clutch open for caius when they did that caius lives thing um, oh yeah that's right uh something tells me that these were outdoors the, the outdoor shows, yeah. yeah, yeah. Stubbs is one of those things. I don't mind saying this. It's a lot of people don't talk about what really goes on when you book a show or something like that. But the, the deal with clubs is that like they have to they have a certain overhead, and your show has to make a certain amount of money to even break mm-hmm. even before you even make any money, you know. And so sometimes some clubs run their show really tight and well, and your overhead is eight hundred bucks. And then so whenever they have a low overhead like that, you make a lot of money when you pack the place right. out. But when you play an enormous venue where, you know, their house cost is like ten, fifteen thousand dollars where you have to make that much money to even break even and then you you know, two hundred people show up, you're screwed. And that club lost money and they won't book you anymore and blah blah blah. And so Stubbs is one of those like legendary places that like when you play in a band in Austin, you always want to play there. But then when you see how much it costs to play a show there, you're like, Whoa, right. whoa, 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 man. Right, why would I ever do that? And so the way these clubs work is like they only have like three or four shows a week and you know so so their house cost you know on average they're they do a yearly average and they're like yeah we'll do like you know 75 shows this year so that that number of shows multiplied by our house cost blah 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 equals like fifteen thousand dollars per show that they have to make and so it's like unless your show is a guaranteed sellout like not easy just yeah not easy to, to to play there so whenever a band like the sword gets the privilege of playing there um it's always a very very good time but yeah we if we were going to play our own headlining show we would probably play a club with an overhead of like fifteen hundred dollars not fifteen thousand you know and uh <laughs> sure so, yeah so yeah <laughs> but it is nice to, to do that sometimes like we uh we played a radio city music hall in new york with uh with opeth and that was a, a buyout so cool you know what I mean? Because Opeth just wanted to play there. And I was like, so thankful mm-hmm. that they did that. I was like, thank you. 
Thank you. <laughs> there's just some. There's just some venues where you say, "I got to do it just to say we did it." Absolutely, and uh, and then this show sold out. It was a great show, but still, it was uh, it was one of those cases. Yeah, I was surprised when Metallica held their uh, Guitar Hero show at Stubbs. We played there a couple months before that, and then we caught uh-huh. wind that that was going down. I'm like, "What? Metallica's playing there? Holy shit!" I was at that show. It was a great show, and um, they were that was between legs of tour that we were on. Uh, with right. them so we were still very tight-knit uh, with them personally at that point and um just you know they were like we were on the guitar hero game and it was our hometown and metallica was like here's a mess of passes just go out there and bring whoever you want in and so it, i i i don't relish in things or, or, or revel in, in 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 things usually but i gotta say when you have like 10 metallica passes to this show that like everyone wants to get into like <laughs> you have the power that's some serious power. And you're, you're just, I know you're looking out at everybody. You're like, hmm, I remember so, you. Yeah, you're yeah cool. so who Here wants to have and, some uh, fun? You know, like, <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. That was a great show, too. Seeing Metallica on a small stage like that is like, don't get me wrong. Like they're, I, I love seeing them in an, in an arena. Um, but that was probably the smallest show I'd ever seen them play at that point on that tour because like even the smallest show when we were out with them was like 14,000 people in an NBA arena totally sold out, you know? Right. And like the biggest show with them, I guess just for scale was like, you know, 65, 70,000 people in Istanbul. So that was a lot of people. Um, but yeah, yeah just a and, few people. <laughs> so when you see them, when you see them play a 2000 seater, it's really cool. Really, really cool. So I got to back up a little bit and ask you the, the million dollar question. What's it like when you receive the email or the phone call that you are going out to open up for the world's biggest, <laughs> world's biggest hard rock band. <laughs> you know, th- that actual email was, it was kind of funny. Like if you're, cause we had known them before that. So it's like, take us back to that. Lars was a big fan, but I was going to just to answer your question, just to even like get out of line a little bit, getting yep. that email of like, Hey, we're going on tour or you're, you know, you want to come with us? was actually kind of shocking because we were like, oh, wow, they weren't kidding. Holy shit. Like, we just, because we, when, when the sword was, um, started touring for Age of Winters, we didn't, like, we had an agent, but he was just kind of fielding offers and we, you know, didn't have a whole plan necessarily. Was we that like 2006? They, 2005, 2006, yeah. And we just sort of took offers as they came. And, um, but by the end of it, we had like gone to Europe twice. We went to Japan with Lamb of God. We like did the States endlessly. And, and, uh, at the end of it all, we were like, Whoa, we just did a world tour. Oh man. Like we didn't even realize it at the time, you know? And then, but then, uh, <laughs> for the second album, we were like, we should book a world tour. That way it's like, this is the thing. Gods of the earth world tour. So we booked like 80 shows and like three shows in, we get the email from Metallica. And we're like, shit. Oh boy. <laughs> We got to cancel like, wow. <laughs> like 60 shows. The promoters didn't care. I mean, when we went and told them the deal, they were like, absolutely not a problem. Just please promise you'll come back after this. Whole <laughs> yeah. When you tell them you're going out with it Metallica. Was, yeah. Yeah. But, but getting back, I guess if you want to talk about how we met, um, I've told this story before, but I'm happy to, to recount it for you uh, and, and your listeners. If, if nobody's heard it, um, uh, this would have been, I guess like, February or April in there in in that range um, of 2006 um, after our first album had come out there was an article I think it was in Rolling Stone uh, that was like a, just a little blurb thing from Lars like hey Lars's corner 
And like, you know, they just asked him like 10 questions. And one of them was like, what music are you, are you listening to right now? And, and the sure. thing said something to the effect of like, the sword is my favorite new band. They're incredible. Check out their album now. And it's something real short like that. But we're like, holy shit. Like, is that real? You know, like, you, know you, you don't, you don't know with like a publicists and, and things getting involved. Like, yeah, I don't know. You never know, you know, who mm-hmm. said what really, or, or what context it was in and something. So, you know, we, we, you know, we were flattered, but just didn't let it go to our heads by any means. But, um, and this is the part that I usually skip over when I tell this story, but we were in Toronto uh, on tour in 2006 and this guy comes up to us and goes, Hey, uh, you guys, the sword. And we're like, yeah, what's up? And he was like, you're not going to believe me, but I'm Sebastian Bach's brother. And I was like, you're right. I don't believe you. <laughs> and, and he said, we were hanging Lars was in town, I guess last week or something like that. We were hanging out with him and, uh, he loves you guys. He made us listen to your album like all night long on repeat and everything. I just thought that was crazy and that you'd want to know that. And then so we were like, huh. Cool story, bro. This is before smartphones, so you couldn't just pull your phone out and like look up, does Sebastian Bach have a brother that lives in Toronto? You know, and uh, so uh, we're, you know, we just, okay, okay, the plot thickens, you know. Um, and then so on that same tour, like two weeks later, we were in San Francisco and uh, lo and behold, he showed up and um, watched the whole set loved it hung out with us you know all night afterwards um just he he actually carried uh my guitar and a cymbal case to our van to like help us load <laughs> jesus how cool is that very gracious man um all right lars time to load out grab some shit <laughs> haven't done that I know, since he 84 said something like like well because you know he, we were like we gotta load out we gotta go because like the next show is god knows where we had like a you know million hour drive and right. uh, he was like oh okay well, what do you mean we're like well we got to load our gear he's like you don't have people to do that for you <laughs> we're like no man we're like basically a punk band and so he shrugged his shoulders and picked up some gear and helped us load the van it was pretty awesome really um no lars we don't have employees this is the kill them all for one tour for real but but that was how we met and um i i uh, we went back to his house or i'm sorry we went back to san francisco a few months later to play there again and he came out again and invited us back to his house after this show and uh, it, he has this little party basement that uh, just has just this killer jukebox. And uh, yeah, we just we crushed like two bottles of Patron, uh, smoked a ton of weed, and fucking he just was like, "I promise, I'm gonna take you guys on tour, man. Like we're gonna we're gonna do it, man. We're gonna totally gonna go on tour until wow. like eight in the morning. You know, we're all just I was just like red eyed, like just I, he was, you know, uh, I don't know, he was just really. <laughs> enjoyed hanging out with us and um that had to be one hell of an incredible night i know and, and when somebody of that caliber you know says something like that it's easy to not believe it or just you know to take it you know for what it is and sure and go about your meager life but yeah i don't remember exactly how long it was after that so it maybe within like a year that was like a year later we got invited out to um, join them for an Eastern European tour. And I think that was like our job interview tour because it cost a lot of money and they weren't, they were paying us, but it was, it was w- when you fly like four dudes plus a bunch of gear and everything like from Bergen, Norway to St. Petersburg, Russia to Sofia, Bulgaria, it, it, it adds up quick, you know? And um, it was, it was going to cost us like 40 grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was going to cost us like, it, it was like a $40,000 shortfall for just this two week tour. And uh, so we asked our label for some scratch and they were back in the day when labels were actually able to give you money. <laughs> they gave us the money, the, the shortfall 
and uh, yeah, we we did that. To, we did that tour for free, pretty much, just because it paid for itself. But it was uh, like I said, I think that was our job interview because at the end of that tour, it was nuts. That was during a period of time uh, for the sword where the before that tour, the last show before that tour started was at Bonnaroo, and we played to like ten thousand people, and that was the biggest show we'd ever played. And then the next show was with Metallica in Bergen, Norway, and that was 20,000 people. That was the biggest show we'd ever played. The next show was in St. Petersburg, 40,000 people. It's the biggest show we'd ever played. So every show for like a two-week period was the biggest show we had ever played, all the way up wow. to Istanbul. Sounds like every show, it almost just doubled in size every night. Almost. You know, toward the end, they kind of, you know, but when you play in like Riga and Latvia to like, 50,000 people and then the next night you go to Sofia Bulgaria and there's like 60,000 people there you're just like good god man like this is <laughs> it's hard to top insane. that it, it really is and uh, it ended in Istanbul and um at that night they asked us um they were like yeah you guys uh, we're doing Ozfest um in a couple of weeks you guys want to do it cuz like, I guess they revived Ozfest for a minute in like 2008 uh, that was the one in for, that was the one in Dallas played. right it, in Dallas, yeah, and uh, that was the yeah. one they headlined over Ozzy. Uh, they did. Ozzy asked them to. Uh, yeah, that night. And um, uh, what was I going to say King Diamond came out too. He lives in Dallas, but still, he um, he came out and sang with Metallica for a minute that night. But um, merciful fate medley. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but this golf cart pulls up to our uh, our dressing room in Ozfest and is like, "Hey, Metallica wants to talk to you guys." We're like, all right, get on the <laughs> golf cart and uh, took us to their dressing room and. And uh, they're like, hey, we just wanted to offer you guys like the North American tour. And we're like, yeah, like that. Uh, all right. That sounds that sounds awesome. And um, yeah, let me think about that and get back to you. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. And uh, he was like, it's the whole the tour is two and a half years long, like the world <laughs> tour, the world magnetic or whatever. And it's and he goes and you can have the first of three slot. I know, but he's, he said uh, that we could have the first of three slot for as long as we wanted. And so it was like, all right, let's just see how long we last, you know? Okay, and, uh, where do I sign up? Uh, he had, I know, and he asked us, um, like, how much money do you need? We're like, I don't know, like, a thousand dollars i don't you know like we didn't have a crew at that point like a lot of people don't realize that like we did the entire metallica tour and everything all of that from day one of the sword all the way up to the end of the metallica tour with no manager it was just four dudes and then we were eventually forced to have wow. a crew because when you play like a metallica show in the round with all this shit like you have to have a guitar tech and a stage manager and a sound guy and a monitor guy like it was, or whatever and, and it's just it the expenses add up quick and you know we had never had a bus before we had never had any of this shit but like it wasn't like we were living it up like you had to have that shit to even keep up with them and even that was murder um uh it's uh, it's not nearly as glamorous as people think it is uh living in a tour bus for six months at a time you know i saw you on that tour multiple times like albuquerque kansas city des moines moline columbus so dude lead- that albuquerque one is ridiculous in that, that was rodeo, like night two. Uh, yes. Or yep. Yeah. The tour kicked uh-huh. off in Arizona and then the next night was Albuquerque. And then like the next two or three weeks, I saw you four or five times on that run. Yep. So leading up to that, yeah, you guys one, dude, never. We... Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> say what you want to say about Albuquerque, Kyle, go ahead. Oh no. It, it's, it's just funny. We got off the bus in Albuquerque and like, that was right when Lars's uh, car pulled up. Uh, mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and he goes oh man 
We opened for Ozzy here in 1986 on the Master of Puppets tour. It looks exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> His memory is amazing. It's just a, I know, it's just a pile of dirt with some bleachers. Like, that's it. It's so funny. Yeah, I could just imagine that. But I'm sorry, go ahead, man. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no problem. So as as that uh, World Magnetic Tour kicks off and you guys are there, that's the first time you had a bus or even your own crew and roadies and techs? Yeah, we had toured Europe before and then like shared buses with other bands, but that was the mm-hmm. first time it was like the sword bus, you know? Wow. With like a crew. Yeah. We had had, we had gotten into the habit of bringing a merch person and a sound person, but um, we had never had stage managers or just like a, a dedicated tour manager or sound person before. You know, it was, yeah, it was. It's just incredible. You guys new, go from- new territory for us. You guys go from clubs and theaters to uh, with no crew and loading in, loading out, and doing all your own thing to 20,000-seat NBA arenas and the first time you're using a crew and have your own bus. I mean, holy shot into space. Yeah. I mean, if you like put it in, in my life's perspective, you know, like I started touring in bands and, and playing shows and stuff when I was like 15-ish. And, um, and then by the time I was like 23... I was on a world tour with Metallica. It was, it was crazy to think about. It was only eight years of like going from like a dweeb in high school to like on a fucking world tour. It was, it was, it was, I'm not gonna lie. It was very jarring for me. I drank a lot. I did a lot of stupid things. That's just hard to adapt to. I mean, like I said, you're shot I, it, it, it was. in outer space. It was like being in the army though. They were, I mean, it was like um, a, a strict schedule. We had to be at a certain spot at seven o'clock or there was fucking hell to pay. You know, sure. it was like, you know, Somebody's going to lose a fucking, what what'd that fucking one asshole say? Like, you just cost somebody a Lamborghini. I was like, oh, did you really just fucking say that to me? You fucking piece of shit. I was, Jesus Christ. You're like, Take it easy there, pal. Was that somebody on their crew? Or- it's something like that. I don't know. It was, um, you know, it was uh, the overtime for shows like that. People don't realize, too. Another thing is like, uh, like that's, th- that union crew has to be out of there at a right. certain time. And for every minute that goes over, it's like $30,000 a minute or something like that, that they have to pay in fucking overtime if the show goes over. So it's like, crazy. if, it, if the show goes over by 30 minutes, it just cost, literally it costs you like 3000 or I mean $300,000 or something like that. It, it's fucking crazy. Like the fines that you incur. Crazy. How was it? Uh, I've also meant to ask bands this, but I haven't had the opportunity. What was it like adapting to playing in the round? Um, that was, it was interesting. It, it, it kind of happened in stages sort of. Cause like we, once all Metallica's gear is up on that stage, it's not really the round anymore there. You know, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, that's their stage. But then when you add machine heads gear and our gear, it was, there was a lot of fucking gear on that stage. So it was like yeah. a lot of obstacles that you had to like jump over and shit. We, you know, some bands did wireless, some bands didn't. We, uh, we just bit the bullet and did wireless, even though we had never done that before, which is another reason why we needed a guitar tech so that, I mean, me personally, I didn't fuck it up. You know, I can't speak sure. for the other two guys. They're very capable, but I can be a bit daft when it comes to things like that. Jeff, have you ever fucked up your wireless? <laughs> uh, I mean, I may have had a few too many drinks and might've turned it off or unplugged <laughs> it by accident, but you know, it, it happens. Yeah, but uh, once we got that dialed in and everything, um, we 
Metallica told us we could go anywhere we wanted uh, on the stage. It was, it, there was no rules of like, you know, the what, what was the fucking band, the Who, that like gave Tom Petty the square that he had to stand in or whatever. Yeah, um, he had to stay in one area. None of that shit. Metallica was so generous. I'm not saying that to kiss anybody's ass. I'm dead serious. Like they were, they were sure. more generous than they had to be, and I will never forget that. Um, and and I've tried to live my life with that same um, amount of courtesy and, and respect and, and generosity but um they're, they're, they're a class act but anyway uh they the, the only thing that sucked was they were like you can only use like half the monitors like on the side of the stage that your gear is on because like all of our channels are crazy and like we just we can't rig up the whole stage's monitors for you guys so you can go anywhere you want but you might not hear very well you're if you not going to hear anything on the other side you know and we didn't have in ears so that was because they thought we did and they were like oh shit you need our monitors too okay uh so that and, and they were using like this new state-of-the-art fucking monitor board system thing everything with them is like always like the brand new thing you know that that money can buy um yeah meyer sound a billion dollars later yeah right exactly and like those guys were like still getting used to the system but once they got used to it and we were like hey man can you is there really no way you can, if, if these monitors work, then come on, can we come over here, please? And, and they worked <laughs> with us and uh, went out and wired the whole thing and programmed it how it needed to be programmed just so that we could have full stage sound. And we got very, I mean, it was awesome because pretty soon, like once we got into a routine, the crew really liked us and um, they would always bend over backwards to help us out and stuff. Um, and uh, uh, one time, <laughs> one time they accidentally like cut JD's power cable for his pedal board, like just Whoops. accidentally just snipped it. For some reason and like the second they did it they were like oh god i'm so sorry oh my god and like <laughs> it was like one of those things like let's just get a new cable it's, it's like, do you have a new cable it's fine they, they were like mortified that they like did that but it, it was um uh, they were very very sweet to us uh but anyway i'm sorry uh the uh we got to the point where like the light guy was like you should have like some point where like for that double solo you guys do like run over like i'm gonna put x's on the stage and you run here and you run there and then we'll like you know, uh, like do twinkles on you whenever like the solo starts and stuff. So, you know, it got to the point cool. where I would be like on one end of the stage and then do a dead sprint while playing guitar all the way to the other end, like do a long jump, boom, and then land right when the double solo happens, right when the lights hit me and stuff like that. So we, you know, cool. we really got to work out on that tour, learn how to become serious entertainers and, uh, or showmen, I guess, you know, to the extent that we could, we're, we're, we're no, uh, you know, kiss by any means, but you know, there's a, there's a lot more that goes into putting on a great show than just playing killer guitar. And uh, so that was, uh, yeah, it was like boot camp for us, rock and roll, heavy metal fucking boot camp. And we were kind of like the band that, one of the last bands that got to experience something like that, really. Um, you know, that in those days, you know, like e even then, like, uh, I don't know of many enormous bands like that that just take some totally unknown band on tour with them. Besides like Tool, maybe. Tool does that sometimes. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We were uh, incredibly lucky to get that opportunity, but we also worked very hard uh, once given that opportunity. So, oh, absolutely. Good, good sure job all around. I, uh, half a dozen times on that tour. What do you prefer? 80,000 people open air stadium or 20,000 in the round NBA arena? Mm. I don't know, man. You know, it's, it all, it all just, depends on like on, on the energy of the people there because i've definitely played a show to like fourteen thousand people that did not give a shit <laughs> you know? i can imagine <laughs> and then uh uh so there i will say that there's absolutely nothing like showing up to a place that you've never been before 
and there's 50,000 people there and they're all just like cheering as loud as they can, throwing their arms in the air. And you're like, like, this is really my life right now. This is totally crazy. Like none of you people have ever heard of us before. And you're all just eating it up. You know what I mean? It's just, that's a, that's a, a very special feeling. Maybe they were cheering for JD, not you. Maybe. You never know. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know what? I will say that, like, you know, we were playing uh, two nights in Paris uh, with uh, Metallica, and um, there was a. This is one of the two times that Lars came on stage and played a song with us. Um, uh, but he was like, I want to do it in Paris. I'm like, okay, cool. And so we were going to do this thing where like, our drummer, like, pretends to hurt his hand, and we're like, oh, no, he hurt his hand. Does anybody know how to play a drum? <laughs> and uh and then Lars comes on the stage you know and he's like i, I think i can handle it and uh <laughs> i can hear him saying um, that too oh i got right, this yeah, <laughs> totally and um uh, so we were uh uh playing our songs you know and people were cheering very loudly you know in between the songs like ah, great you know whatever and uh we're like oh man we got him you know let's bring Lars out here and Lars steps on the stage then they really cheered and that's when i realized the difference between us and and that, no, I mean that's not what I realized the difference between us and them. I just mean like that was just like a very glaring example of how fucking famous that dude is, you know? The, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just he, just he can walk on the stage and uh, a little difference, kind of, you know? Uh, yeah, ruckus. Uh, but yeah, those are great nights. Yeah, he he came out and played Freya with us uh, in Paris and in Cologne. So you were talking about uh, partying with Lars and smoking up and drinking with him. How about the rest of the guys? Any of the other guys you were smoking up with? Maybe Kirk or something? Yeah, uh, uh, we we would party. They would invite us to after parties and stuff. Hetfield would never uh, imbibe uh, back in those days. Um, yeah, that makes but, sense. But uh, Rob Trujillo, I mean, n- nothing ever got super sloppy. But yeah, I mean, they would uh, always, after a show... Um, maybe not every night, but like, Oh, more often than not would have some sort of after party that we would always be invited to. And they were always very generous. And, um, we met a lot of crazy people. I mean, like, it's, it's really funny, like hanging out, uh, backstage at a Metallica party. And there's like, well, shit, there's Mike Dirt. They're like, well, is that guy Fieri? Like, what the fuck? You, know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just never know, like, kind of who's going to walk like, around. Oh, I've seen like, that guy on TV before. Like, you know, Anything's know, yeah, possible yeah, totally, in that dressing you know, room. It's, it's really, really funny. I saw it was like the, the meeting of the bass players, uh, uh, with like it was like our bass player, uh, bass player from Weezer, bass player from No Doubt, like I think like yeah Mike Dirt. So it was, it was just like the super bass player circle that like, going on. I was like oh my god, this is a lot of power. Like this is a once in a lifetime formation. Let's capture this moment. <laughs> <laughs> circle of doom. Yeah, right. yeah. I read an article something somewhere you were mentioning Kyle talking about how good Mr. Hammett's weed is. Yeah, uh, well, it was kind of it, it was it was a casual conversation I was having with the metal injection people. Uh, that's where I was, it was from. The, yeah. I think the headline got a little blown out of proportion, but it still it was that's the nature of headlines, I guess. But um, uh, the question was, who's the most famous person that got you high that had the best weed? And I just out of my mouth was like Kirk Hammett, duh. You know what I mean? I don't know because he had this crazy ass weed. Uh, we, uh, we were. Uh, smoking one time i can't remember where we were uh but yeah of course i can't remember where we were because that <laughs> we were so good yeah but i was probably the northwest somewhere um but yeah i mean that was uh we were like the the dumb stoners that they brought on tour you know that were just like you know always like man the sword they'll do anything 
You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 Let's bring those guys out. Like they, they couldn't really like, you know, rage like, like we did anymore. Uh, so they, I think we were around to like, you know, so they could live vicariously through our yeah, you were help, shenanigans. Helping uh, keep them young. <laughs> totally. And you know, I, I will say that um, the crew mentioned to us that Hetfield had been in a rather sour mood the last few years once he had kind of come out of rehab and, and getting used to touring like that and everything. And that they said that they liked us so much because when we were around, he was in a really good mood. So I think we kind of helped him get out of his funk somehow too. I mean, I don't know. He, he would always come to our shows and anytime we came to San Francisco or if we were playing an off show, like, like once uh, this is, I'll, I don't mind telling you this story. Um, uh, th- this just shows you like how nice they were. Um, uh, we were, playing, <laughs> we played a show in Omaha one time and Lars comes in the dressing room and was like, Oh God, I gotta get out of Omaha. Like, where do you want to go? Like the show's over. And we're like, I don't know. Like we have a, like, I don't know. What do you want to do? Is there like a, anything to do in this town right now? And and he's like, no, I just want to go somewhere. Where do you want to go? Like another city. I was like, Oh, uh, (laughs) we're like, well, we have a show in Chicago tomorrow. So we're going to Chicago in a minute on the bus. And he was like, I fucking love Chicago. Let's go right now. Hang on. I'll be right back. <laughs> and so he comes back like 15 minutes later. and He's like, okay, everyone, we're all going to Chicago right now. The whole band, we're all going to, everyone's coming to your show tomorrow and it's all set up. It's all done. And you're, there's a car coming for you in like 10 minutes. Just get in it. We're going right now. I was like, oh, okay. So they uh, took us okay. to fucking executive airport. There's a G5 park ready to go. And uh, held eleven people. And uh, Gulfstream Five—that's as nice as they come. I know. And Metallica had um, five people with their, or no, they had. I'm sorry, they had seven. It was the four dudes and their tour managers, security guy, and chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to have one of those around. Got to stay comfortable, uh, ladies, ladies and gents. You do. And uh, and then the four of us. So that was the eleven seats on the plane. And uh, yeah, we. It was fucking great. Like the, I had the stewards, the stewardess. Uh, sitting in my lap feeding me sushi uh, just drinking like everybody was on their cell phones like surfing the fucking middle of the airplane while we were taking off like there's no rules on a fucking private jet no uh, it was incredible and uh, landed in Chicago got in the Escalade smoked weed went to a, uh, fucking some strip club <laughs> just hanging out and then Anthrax was there randomly it was just like this weird thing where like anthrax happened to be in Chicago doing something. Wow. And then just, we are, so, but, but it was also in the dead of winter. So absolutely no one was in this club except for Metallica, the sword and anthrax. <laughs> it was fucking <laughs> crazy. You're like, this beats the bus. Omaha to Chicago on a G five takes about 40 minutes. This might've been, I don't know if this is out of line telling story. I don't mean like dragging all this out, trying to make myself look cooler or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. We love it, man. Because you're you're doing a Metallica podcast, and we love it, Kyle. Have... We have seventy five questions for you, and I've asked about two off my sheet of paper. This is oh, just awesome. No. So just keep riffing. Just keep like, riffing. Keep it up. I'm so sorry. But, keep it uh, up, man. We love the stories. Like we, I went outside to smoke a joint. And uh, Kirk, you know, he was he was there, and uh, he was asking me like, we didn't really talk about music a lot. Um, we, I don't know, we we weren't really, really like punishers to them. We didn't, weren't be like, you know, what kind of guitars do you have or whatever. You know, we just I don't know, we just like talking about boobs and cars, and just we were just idiots. You know, I think that's yeah, why just they like dudes hanging chilling, out. hanging out, having a good yeah, time. You know, and uh, but he he asked me, he was like, what have you been doing? Uh, to like get better at guitar and everything. And I felt like a real asshole because the, the honest answer was like, I was like, man, last summer 
I learned every song on Master of Puppets, all the solos, everything. It was I didn't even know we were going to be on tour with you guys. Wow. Nothing, you know, it was just like a, a happenstance, and I just I learned all those solos, and I gotta say, it made me a better guitar player. And he was laughing, and he goes, "Man, he goes, all I did last summer was learn uh, Jimi Hendrix albums, like note for note, and everything." And he was weird cool. laughing about that and stuff. But then, and then out of nowhere, man, he goes, "Man, you know who would have loved you guys?" I was like, "Who?" And he just goes, "Cliff." Oh, dude. And it just like. Wow. I, I didn't expect him to say it. it just cut me in two you know i was like oh jesus man i don't know so that was sure. that's like that's like the ultimate compliment i know it was uh very sweet of him to say and i will never forget that that's incredible boy you did can't beat that kind of compliment what do you even say back to that like you said it cut you in two i know yeah we just went back inside looked at boobs it was fun <laughs> yeah it's always a good way to spend time <laughs> Towards the end of that, towards the end of that uh, tour, Kyle, I saw you in Chicago, and now that you're telling me how great the crew was to you, I can believe that because they let you in on Pine Rob's bass tech Zach Harmon for his birthday. Oh man, we we toured. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, on that tour, we played. I got to play Hetfield, Kirk. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, That's and, the uh, ritual in that camp for everyone's birthday. Else? Oh well, Lar- I was gonna pie Lars, but that fucker's fast. He got away from me, man. He's a, he runs like miles and miles every day. So he was like literally because he knew it was coming because the whole deal was like we used to get him. Um, uh, we got Zach, too. But yeah, you're right. Uh, but but yeah, we did pie those guys. And um, Hetfield was easy. Zach's the one I saw. Yeah, it was just like right at the end of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Hetfield, uh, we just got uh, right at the last note of Seek and Destroy. We just like come up from under the stage with a bunch of cream pies and just boom, got him. Um, when it was Kirk's birthday, there was one rule. They said, not on the guitar. And so I was like, I'm going to fucking get Kirk. Oh, hell, I'm front row for this one. You know what I mean? So like, I had my two cream pies ready. They were like, you know, underneath the stage, they would have these little tucked away tables that you could like hide a bunch of pies in. So we would sure. <laughs> like sneak up during the last song and like last note, I see Kirk across the stage. And I was like sneaking up behind him and then he, I was going to get him from behind. So I didn't hit his guitar. And then he sees somebody come in from the other side of the stage to get into and he turns around to run towards me away from the other pie right as i had thrown the pie and it hit him smack right in the guitar i felt so oh, bad shit. oh no but yeah but you know you're gonna get pie. it's your birthday you know you're gonna get pie don't play your nicest guitar man. you're like kirk don't worry you gotta anyway. tech that i'll clean that up <laughs> that's what your text for he'll be watching that till four in the morning i know justin was so nice but i bet he hated us that night <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say though when it was Lars's turn though um, he knew I mean at that point it was like obvious like at the last note of Seek and Destroy you're getting pied and so we were sure. like no with Lars we have to fuck him up like mid song like at the part when it's like <laughs> when it uh, it uh, it goes fast in the middle you know where that little drum break happens we're like we're going to get it right there and sure. so like we were and we were like told the, the drum person that was in charge of spinning the spinning drum kit like park him like away from us <laughs> spin his back to us (laughs) yeah you know for this part of the song he's like okay and so like lars knew something was up but he like turned around to look behind him and he saw us coming with pies and just dropped the drumsticks and ran i swear to god i've never seen somebody run so fast in my life there was i didn't get him it was it man (laughs) you fuck little danish bastard you know what you know what i might have misspoke now that i'm thinking about it I, i know we got rob i don't think we got hetfield I just wanted to correct myself before I uh, misspoke. I'm, I'm pr- okay now that I think about it because it was Probably, Hetfield's man. idea. 
The stories are great. The birthday. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. We never got Hetfield, but we did get Trujillo and uh, and Kirk. It, Very nice. it was a long tour. I understand. <laughs> it was. And I smoked a lot of weed back then, boy. Let me tell you. <laughs> two and a half years. Did that feel like about two weeks? It just fly by. We lasted about a year and we told them, we came to them humbly and said, I think we'd like to go home. Uh, and uh, they were, they just They're laughed. Rough. They were like, we didn't think you would last like six months. Like you're, you've been here a year, go home, you know? And, um, they were like, hey, gave us like some parting gifts and just, yeah, it was all hugs and kisses, man. They were just like, good job, boys. And, um, and we, what we asked them, we're like, when are you guys going to Australia? And they're like, oh, that's not till like the very last leg of the tour, like a year and a half from now. And we're like, mm-hmm. you have to bring us back when you go to Australia, please. Like, that's the only <laughs> way we'll ever, ever be able to make it over there. And then a year and a half later, they called us up. Kyle has his demands now. No, I mean, but it's, I was like, please, please, please bring us. And uh, a year and a half later, uh, they, they promised to bring us and they gave us the call a year and a half later and uh, took us to Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. So cool. Wow. And uh, it was very, very nice of them to do that. And uh, it was like a family reunion because, you know, if you do the math, we've actually played more shows on that round stage than any other stage in the world sure. even all the, the clubs that we cut our teeth at back in the day like we played over a hundred shows on that stage there's not a club on this planet that we played over a hundred shows at you know so stepping back on that stage was like coming home again it was cool and podcast for all is for the fan to come on tell their story tell their history and kind of drive yeah. and decide the topics this has been a great interview with you what we usually ask just our general fan listeners of the show was how did you get started with metallica what was the first thing that that caught your attention about them? Uh, in MTV, uh, I, I discovered, I think in like 93 and like, that was in the hardcore, like days of them just playing, uh, black album videos, like every hour on the hour, you know? And, uh, so that was my introduction. And it wasn't until my parents forced me to go to a church camp when I was like 13, maybe or so that I was bunking with like the bad kids and like they had Metallica CDs and I didn't, like at that point, I grew up in a really small town, and I just like I was lucky that I found MTV, and I, I really didn't know of any much else besides what I, I could see there. I didn't have any money. I was really young, you know. I, I and I just like got my music where I could on the radio and MTV and stuff. And um, once they had a bunch of yeah Metallica CDs, like the old all the the first four albums, and like it didn't even sound like the same band to me, you know. And I was like, whoa, this is yeah. nuts. And uh, so yeah, that that was kind of like my intro to Metallica. Uh, it was just I, I guess like I heard the Black Album first and then the old stuff later. What else were you? And then I remember, the I remember when Load came out, and I, I I didn't know how I felt about it because it was like during a summer break, and then like because that was the first Metallica album that was like the new Metallica album that I got, you know. And uh, so, mm-hmm. but like I came back for yeah from that summer break, and uh, it was just everybody was just bagging on it, you know what I mean? But it was like you know it wasn't my favorite thing in the world. I didn't hate it, but uh, it's funny when like you just think about things like that, and then like all these years later, you go back and listen to Load. It fucking rules. It's super heavy. I don't know why everybody was bagging on it like so hard. You know what I mean? Like, totally understand. That's in my top five. Load's always been sentimental to me, and just straightforward rock. Love it. And it's it's all those songs are great live. Um, even the the reload when they played the Memory Remains was one of my favorite songs they would play live. So good. Yeah, you get twenty thousand people in NBA arena singing the end part. How how do you it's not incredible. beat that? Incredible, yeah. absolutely incredible. It's a live staple of theirs now. Jeff, you got anything? No, man. It's just I. I'm just trying to take in all, <laughs> everything that he said. Like I'm just, you know, 
it's amazing. I'm not trying to make it like a tell-all. I hate to feel like I'm like a tabloid or something. No, like that. Oh, no, awesome. not at all. Not at all. It's it's it, the awesome. That they wouldn't Kyle. mind me telling these stories, you know. And it was just, it's. Uh, I, I'm I'm so thankful for that opportunity because not everybody gets to experience that. Oh, absolutely. Know, and and yeah. I I think that uh, what I meant by that is just that it's hearing those stories and just trying to picture, you know, just like a day to day life, you know basically living with those guys out on the road for that long. I mean, that's just, it's truly incredible. And I'm just trying to imagine myself in that situation. It's hard not to think about that when hearing, hearing your stories, but yeah, they're incredible, man. Good dudes. They didn't have to be, you know? Yeah. They're a band that doesn't have to take anybody on tour. I'm sorry. Go ahead. This book project's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. I either made it. Yeah. By the time you're hearing this, I'm either uh, hanging out in a hot tub, drinking champagne, <laughs> or uh, going to work at UPS or something. I don't know. Uh, we'll figure it out if if it works or not. I'm just. Oh, kidding. it's gonna be um, great. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess um, by this by, by the time this comes out, um, I'm hoping to release um, some free Halloween uh, inspired uh, cover tunes via my Bandcamp page. It's, it's all gonna be for free. Uh, I figure once once you do a Kickstarter, you ask for a bunch of money for something. I think it's important to put a bunch of free stuff out there for uh, to to. Reward Very the cool. people, balance that, it out um, a little bit. Back to you, and also just to balance it out a little bit, yeah. And um, so keep an eye out for some of those; they're going to be really fun. I'm excited about it. Very cool. Uh, before we go, we have this uh, "I disappear in the middle of the desert" section. If you were stranded somewhere, what would be your top five Metallica songs for the rest of your life? Rest of my life. Oh man. Oh jeez. Oh okay. Hang on. No um, pressure. Let's start with let's start with number five. Unforgiven three is a totally underrated song. Um, Kirk's guitar nice. solo on that is fucking incredible. I could tell you a story about that too, but I've already taken enough 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 of your time. No, um, tell it. <laughs> well, I just I really wanted them to play that, and that's how the Australia conversation came up. Is I said, when are you going to play Unforgiven three? And Kirk was like, oh, that's like phase four of the tour, like when we're going to roll that single out. So that's not going to be till we hit Australia like a year and a half from now. And I was like, Oh, you have to take us on that tour. Please, please, cool. please, please. And, uh, and then, so once we got on that tour, I was like, you're going to play it. Right. But they had like already played it like a bunch. And they're like, Oh, we don't want to play that anymore. I was like, Oh, but you said, man, Oh, come on. You know? <laughs> and, um, so by the time we got to Tokyo, the Saitama super arena, uh, two nights there, um, fucking incredible shows. But the second night they were like, all right, we'll play Unforgiven three for Kyle. Literally, it was like just for you, man. How cool is that? that. And then, but then when it happened, um, those arenas are enormous. You know what I mean? So, like, to get from your dressing room to where the show is happening is quite the hike sometimes. Um, And so, I didn't know that it was going to be on the set list, but it was like a last minute uh, amendment where they uh, uh, put that song in there. It was like specifically for me, and uh, I I could hear the crew people. their their radios like all the crew guys like all have radios that are like squawking all the time you know and mm-hmm. i could hear on the radios where's kyle where's kyle where's kyle they're doing it now and i, wow, I was like cool. oh, you gotta be shitting me so i like did a dead sprint all the way to where the show was and just like hopped up on the side of the stage and watched them play just for me it was super special i really appreciate it and uh, boy that is one special of, one of kirk's best solos uh, on that record but uh anyway number four uh fade to black that song will always hold a special place in my heart and uh that guitar solo in the beginning is one of the hardest guitar solos to ever play ever not the whole thing but just the part that goes like like he made it sound flawless but that is one fucking hard run to play jeff do you Uh, agree with that 
It's definitely got its challenging moments. I'll agree with you on that one. Yeah, it is a tough one. Um, but uh, uh, <sighs> Leper Messiah doesn't get enough attention, in my opinion. I'm going to put nice. that one on there just because that one's fucking sick. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Sorry, I'm just going for it. Um, Hell yeah, man. Uh, now we're two and one now. Um, shoof. Uh, should I just do Unforgiven one and two? Uh, <laughs> just um, get the whole trilogy. Just get, all, just get all three of them on there. Is there a fourth one in the works? I don't know. Um, there might be. Uh, there should be. <laughs> I, wanted, I was really hoping on the third one they would go like, or are you Unforgiven three? You know, or something like that. I think we were all uh, kind of hoping that uh, they would put something like that in there. I've always thought about that. I just saw that. I just saw them at uh, S&M two, and they played it. I'm like, God, it'd still be a great lyric. I know, right? Yeah, I was so. just hoping it would have had the little horn intro like the first two had. Oh yeah, I can live with that. I don't know. That was a great. Record. I was just happy they made a record and took us into it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> no yep. complaints. <laughs> yep. No complaints. Do what you want with that song. <laughs> but um, okay, two number two. Um, I'm gonna put a Death Magnetic song in there because we did that tour. Uh, well, I already did, I guess. But I'm gonna put a second one because fuck it. Um, you know what? What's the ones? Uh, I'm I'm so bad with song titles sometimes. Um, it's the one that's like broken, beaten, and scarred. Broken, beaten, is scarred. That, yep. Is that what? Did I get it right? Yeah, on the set list it says BBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one. Um, just that riff and that one. I don't know. It was like Great it wasn't. Riff. It wasn't new metal disco style music, but it, it had a funk to it. And um, this, they, they were straight up about it. I mean, like uh, the Lars and um, and Trujillo both admitted, and and, and Kirk. I mean, I'm sorry, not Kirk. Uh, Headfield to a certain extent that uh, the sword was a huge influence on them um, making Death Magnetic. And uh, even there's a the song on that um, the follow up. What was it called? The with the, the like four song EP that came up oh, came out right after that. Was, I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, 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 that one. Yeah. There, there was a song there that was just straight up a sword riff, just like right in line with what we were doing at the time. And, and Trujillo even went on stage uh, at the Orion Festival and said, uh, like, he, it was their first festival and they wanted us to be the first band to, because at first we were like, why are, why are we on at like two o'clock? That's so early. Like, what, did, <laughs> did we do something to piss them off? Right. And they were like, no, Metallica wants you guys to be the first band to play their first festival ever. And we're like, that is so awesome. Okay. And they're Way like, they, cool. they want you to be able to play in the party all night. We're like, you guys fucking rule. Way you guys cool. Rule. But anyway, they all showed up to the side of the stage. Well, uh, maybe not, maybe not all of them. Uh, Trujillo and Hetfield showed up to the side of the stage to watch us play. And, uh, Trujillo was like, can I introduce you guys? And we're like, fuck yeah, dude, get out there. And he, he just told the whole story. There's like 10,000 people there to watch us. He told this whole story about how they, wow. uh, listened to the sword nonstop in the studio and we were a huge influence on them and that they, they were like and we took them on tour forever and these guys i'll tell you they'll drink you under the table they'll smoke you under the table just ask kirk <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's kind of like why i don't feel super bad throwing kirk under the weed bus like that you know just because like you know i'm just trying to be respectful of these that guys so you know cool. they were so nice to us i don't want to speak out of turn or anything but um so they cool. uh uh so they were great, and uh, and I love that that funky riff and broken beatness card. But uh, number one, okay, here we are. Number one with my favorite song of all time. I, you know, I it's not it's not a surprise. Um, I'm probably gonna go with like like Sanitarium or Master of Puppets, probably like for a tie. I just I like the big epic ones that have like quiet parts and loud parts that go like really all over the place. I'd probably just pick Master of Puppets, honestly, just because it's like 
it's the heavy metal hotel california it's the best goddamn thrash metal song ever written and that's I, a great it's way a to put safe it answer i know but like it's just it's impossible to fucking play along with that shit man well there's a reason why it's such a popular song and why it's one of the greatest i mean it's it's great yeah kyle you gotta check out battery sick dude that that whole record's too i'm sorry go ahead yeah it's it's tough to pick from that record in the early 2000s i don't know if you're familiar they did a they did a mashup of the two and they called it master terium that's crazy i've never heard of that Yep, so regular version of Puppets, and then it gets to the bridge, intro to Sanitarium, and then to- after the solo <laughs> of Sanitarium, it really quickly shifts back into the outro of Puppets. You got to check it out. Master Terium. That's really cool. Well, you hear it, heard it here first, folks. Mr. Kyle Shut from the Sword. His top five in the I Disappear Desert, Unforgiven 3, Fade to Black, Leopard Messiah, BBS, and I'm just going to say Master Terium. Yeah, that's fair. I would go for that. Hell yeah. Good compromise. Yeah, Kyle, we've had fun, man. That uh, fifty-nine minutes flew by. We didn't talk about anything <laughs> we needed to talk about. Everything you talked about. No, don't apologize. No need to apologize. Everything you told us was mind blowing. I mean, God, we, we. I felt like I was on the golf stream from Omaha to Chicago Midway. That was fucking incredible. Those are the those were the days. That's all I can say. <laughs> The good old 08, 09 era. All I got to say is if yep. the book is even half what this, what your stories were, it's going to be an amazing read. So I can't wait. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, anybody out there um, that missed the Kickstarter campaign, uh, just look for Written in Stone. It'll come out eventually and you'll be able to buy it. And it'll be chock full of just ridiculous antics uh, Yeah, from touring the world over 20 years it'll be it'll be a lot of fun i can't wait to write it i can't wait to read it man i'll definitely be buying a copy for sure well thanks so much for having me fellas i really appreciate it thanks again kyle you've been more than generous with your time that was amazing thanks again and uh let's cross paths soon awesome thanks fellas all right y'all take it easy man all right man see you kyle are you out there dallas are you out there
Fuck alone! 